If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to go really two places. We're going to go all over the place, but two places you can turn to is Matthew 5 uh, and Ephesians 4. We'll be in uh, Matthew 5 first and then Ephesians 4 second, and then we'll be all all over the place later. So um, today, what what I want to do is that I'd like to put some finishing touches on our series that we started the year with regarding uh, forgiveness uh, and I want to, we want to end it because basically we've mastered it, right? Uh, we've learned everything we need to learn. We will no longer ever have a problem uh, extending forgiveness to people because we've mastered the subject because we talked about it on Sundays, right? Um, we'll, we'll never have a problem walking, you know, in the forgiveness that God has given us through Jesus. And, uh, and of course, I kid because I know um, for some the belief of what we've been doing these past few weeks uh, is is a lot like kicking a hornet's nest, right? And then as we ran away, I pushed you down so I could get to safety. Uh, and you're like, I'm getting stung here. This does not feel good. And but but I am I am proud of uh, our willingness, and I'm proud of of a lot of um, the complaints that you've brought to me about. Hey, I don't like the fact that we're talking about this, and I don't like the fact that we're dealing with this. Uh, but I am proud of that effort. Uh, I am proud that we get to be part of a church that, has, and this isn't to say that we are exclusively the only church in the world that does this, um, but that we do care about what God's Word says about these subjects in our lives. Uh, we do care about what God says about forgiveness. And then uh, then just being willing to say, okay, I want to fight over uh, my comfort when it comes to what God tells me to do with this. And, uh, and so we, we've spent six weeks laying and building on uh, this understanding that, that forgiveness when it comes to living in the gospel, that it's not a suggestion to consider, uh, but, but rather it's a reflection that we understand just the stunning beauty of what God has done for us through Jesus to, to save us, uh, to forgive us of our sins. And, and if you're just now joining, I'd encourage you, to hop on uh, the podcast and kind of catch up uh, because what we're going to do is I'm going to drive you through where we've been these last couple of weeks, but it, it won't really be as helpful as uh, as actually have been sitting here and listening to them. Uh, and so what we did, uh, we began in week one by saying, if, if you want to simply ruin your life in one step, choose to walk in an unforgiving spirit. Uh, that... Uh, we saw in Galatians 5 and 6 how, how choosing to withhold forgiveness that it prevents a person from walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Not, not forgiving how it, it spills over into every single one of our relationships and, uh, and how it actually uh, it, it leads us to further isolation and further damage. And, uh, and that was kind of our demolition mode. Where we just said, okay, let's just tear those walls down and then we came in week two and, and we began repairing the foundation not by, by looking at ourselves and not by looking at our wounds, but rather by looking at the incredibly big picture of forgiveness that God has given us. Uh, what we saw was how the narrative of the Bible is, is, is God's love on display as He makes possible the redemption of, of us. That, that our story with God is that we chose to sin, that we, we suffer in the consequences of that action, and he immediately went to work to restore fellowship with us. And, and the bottom line is simply this, that God loves me and God loves you because he's chosen to love you. And then he gives us Jesus so that we can love him forever and ever and ever and ever. And so then week three, we saw the motivation of, of the Father's heart, that he doesn't love us reluctantly. Uh, we, we walked through the parable of, of the prodigal son uh, and we took note that no matter how, uh, what we have done, we can always come back home. That, that God's love is inexhaustible. That, that His love is patient. That, that He is eager to express His love. That He receives us as we return joyfully, not, not reluctantly and not um, with, with great hatred towards us. Uh, that he welcomes us back. And this isn't because we're that great of a catch, because we aren't. Um, but, but rather, uh, he is such an incredible father, and he loves us as a perfect father does. And then week four, we walk down 
the lane of forgiveness and confession. And, and when, when we talked about confession, what we said was simply this, that when we confess, we are agreeing with God about our sin. Uh, we agree uh, that, that what he, how He has called us to live is the healthiest way to pursue life. And then secondly, um, we, we assume responsibility for our actions. Um, just because they were a jerk doesn't mean that you punching them in the face was all their fault. Uh, and, and so as we said there's two lanes of confession, right? That, that you have a, a confession that you, you pray one time for salvation. You say, God, I confess my sins to you and that Jesus would come live inside my heart. Uh, and then secondly, uh, you would have an ongoing uh, prayer of confession uh, that is really more for your restoration, uh, and so we, we pray that to unclog the lane uh, between us and God. And, and all that was laid down um, so that we could understand God's motivation to rescue us. And so we got, we got into week five, where we really, it took us five weeks to get to the heavy part. Um, but we got into week five, and, and we started to look in at how do we forgive those people who have wounded us? And so, so if, if forgiveness is about canceling a debt, how do we go about that process? And we spent time in Matthew 18, uh, where we found these steps for confronting offenses in a healthy way. Uh, Jesus will say, and now granted we were talking about um, that he's given us a model for how believers interact with believers, but, but I think we can find a similar practice that, that you would, the first step would be that you would go privately to that person. Uh, the second one would be uh, that you would go with uh, some witnesses, uh, not a mob, uh, but some witnesses whose desire is that you would be able to walk in restoration with one another. Uh, and then thirdly, if, it, if you couldn't win your brother back, that you would take the matter before the church. Uh, and then lastly, uh, if you still couldn't win your brother back, Jesus says you would release them. And now, this is the part of that process where we're like, oh, well, yeah, I'm fine with that. Well, I can just release them. And, and for some reason, we confuse, well, if I release them, I still don't, then that means I don't have to deal with forgiving them, uh, which as we follow along in Matthew 18, you saw Peter ask this beautiful question of like, hey, how many times should I forgive somebody? Like seven times. And then Jesus tells us this parable of the unmerciful servant, and, and the purpose of it was saying, even, after you release, if you, even if you have to release them, you're still forgiving them. You're still canceling that debt because your willingness to forgive other people isn't about what they've done to you, what they can do for you, or what they will do to you. But rather, it's a reflection that I have received forgiveness in God, and my decision is to walk through life reflecting that in all my relationships. And, and so then last week, we, we took an even deeper look into restoration by, by how we help a brother who has stumbled. Uh, how do we help them get off the mat? How do we help them get back into uh, the adventures of the God size? And so we spent some time in, in Galatians 6, and it gives us a process and a warning and a command and a reminder. And, and basically, we, we, we said that when you restore one another, you restore gently. Because that's how we want to be restored, right? Um, that, that we are aware of our temptation to believe ourselves better than our brothers, that we would bear one another's burdens while we boast in Christ and not in ourselves. That, that when it comes to restoring one another, we're not competing and we're not using that sort of restoration as a way of punishing people. Uh, and so, so where I want to go this morning uh, is, is that we're going to start in Ephesians 4, um, but, but we've been using this verse for the last couple weeks as kind of a backdrop for... Uh, this command that we find in God, and how do we deal with forgiveness? Uh, and this command is simply this, be, and we'll, we'll get to it, but let me just read it. Be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, right? Which is, again, ways we want to be treated in life. Then he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so as we put finishing touches, we want to come back to where we started and say, okay, how does that play itself out? What do we need to keep in mind as we pursue that. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for your word this morning. 
And we thank you that, that when you give us your word, it's, it's so that we would know the healthiest, uh, most joy-filled, uh, the path to peace, that that's the way we can live in your word. And I pray as we get to put some finishing touches on this series of forgiveness that we would understand deeper and deeper and deeper just the, the immense love that you have for us. And that we would understand that your forgiveness and our forgiveness with others is it's not a suggestion. It's, it's how we honor you with our lives. So we pray for your Holy Spirit this morning to teach us to reveal places of us, to prune parts of us, and ultimately so that when we leave here, we would know that we have met with you and others would know that too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. That was a, that was a good amen. Very, very somber. Amen. Um, so, so Matthew 5. One, one of the most unfair words I've ever read from Jesus uh, came, comes in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gives the Sermon on the Mount, and there's some of the most incredible words uh, that you will ever find. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. And he says, you know, if, basically, if you want to see a revolution, if you want to see a revival happen in your land, simply live these chapters out. Uh, but, but one of the most unfair words that I've ever seen him say is, is this, verse 43, and I think we have it uh, for the screens, Lawson. And it says, if, if you've heard it, uh, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy, right? Uh, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rains on the just and the unjust. For, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, uh, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what he's doing is, and this is the model in, uh, especially the early parts of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, okay, you guys, we, we're trying to live at a standard, and the standard is always being lowered. And, you know, when we want to make it to where we can be just good enough that all we have to do is take a step over the line. And so Jesus comes in the section. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemies. And, and the implication here and the application are pretty simple, that in life you will have people that seem to do you harm. Right? Is that, is that a revolutionary thought to any of us today? No? That there will be people who seek to do you harm. Some of these people will be strangers, and some of these people will be intimate relationships that you have. But, but how you respond to these attacks are vital when it comes to showing the work of God and the value of, of Jesus in your life. And, and Christ says that, that what we've done in our society, and this is, he's talking to them, and it still applies to us, he says, what we've done is we've developed transactions in our relationships, right? That it's easy to love your neighbor when they do good to you, and it's easy to hate your enemy when they seek to do you harm. Uh, that society plays by this seemingly universal rule, and Jesus comes in and he says, I've come not to just point out the obvious of a fallen world, he says, I've come to reveal a greater and a healthier way, a more full way to live life. And, and so as the topic of enemies comes up, he says, he says the words that we don't want to hear, right? Because anybody, anybody's like, ah, you know, what I really want to do with that person who's being mean to me is just be super nice all the time, right? So he comes in and he says the words that, that we don't want to hear. And he says, don't play by the same rules that the rest of the world plays by. That when attacks come, you have primarily two options. That number one, you can lash out and hate, which is simply the natural reaction of a fallen and a sinful person. Or you can lash out in love, which is the reaction of, of my spirit working in you and working through you. And now it's not any stretch of the imagination that, it, that if Jesus instructs us on how to show love to those we consider enemies, then forgiveness must lie very close at the heart of that instruction. That for some of us, that's the first step in going from enemy 
to friend. And I think Jesus uses this extreme because he knows that if we can learn to choose forgiveness when it comes to the people that we, we consider our enemies, uh, then, then you imagine what it would be like when we offer forgiveness to people that we genuinely do care about. Uh, those that we genuinely do love and we want to see the best out of them. How can we offer that forgiveness to much lesser offenses? So, so let's, let's, assume, um, let's assume that you've been hurt before in your life. Right? I know for some that's a stretch, but you know, like I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and let's, let's assume you've been hurt more than you ever thought you could have been hurt. Let's, let's say a, a friend betrays your confidence, that you told them something in private and then that got shared and now it can't be unshared. Uh, let's, let's, let's say you have a coworker who took credit for something, your great idea, and not only are, do they take the credit for it, they're being rewarded for that. And now there's friction between the two of you because it's awkward because he knows what, they know what they did to you. And yet you are working through how do I respond to that. And I think, I think the, the possibilities of hurt are, are endless, right? I mean, someone has lied to you. Someone has spread a false rumor about you. Someone has ruined a possession of yours. They refuse to believe you or listen to you. Maybe you have parents who are continually trying to manipulate your life. I'm not talking about teenagers because your parents love you and they've never done anything wrong. Um, but I'm talking about adults. That maybe you have kids who, who have shamed the family. Maybe you have a brother or a sister who's swindled you out of your family inheritance. Maybe, maybe you, you, your spouse has abused you. Maybe, maybe they've hurt you so badly that there's very little self-esteem left. Maybe a, an ex keeps trying to sabotage your life. So how can, how can you forgive in those moments when, there's, when everything you want to do revolves around rage? What do, you, what do you do with that? And I think the, this is at the heart of what we've been leaning into these past few weeks, that, that there's little that affects our relationship so profoundly and adversely as choosing not to forgive. It ruins us. It does. That, that, that holding something against someone has a tendency to dominate our lives. And the unfortunate part is, is we, we, at times, we don't even realize it. We don't realize that that's what's, that's what's happening. We, we think that we have it resolved in the mind, but, but all the while, it's eating away at us, and it's affecting our disposition and, and our physical health, and, and unquestionably, it's affecting the way that we treat people and the way we trust people. And, and it may be small or it may be extreme, but it's always there extinguishing the warmth and the intimacy we long to have both with our Father in heaven and with each other. So we have to deal with it. And this is what I love. I love the fact that God knows our condition. And in His Word, He tells us some things about our condition so that we can walk in health with Him. Uh, and, and one of the areas that the Apostle Paul uh, makes this really interesting point about forgiveness, and it's his central passage on human relationships when it comes to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and we're, we're going to go in verse certain 31, and then we'll come to a verse that hopefully is familiar to many of us now. Uh, let all bitterness, okay? Listen to this. He's saying, okay, I, I'm not suggesting this. I'm telling you, if you walk with the Spirit, if you're walking to pursue the heart of the Father, these things need to not be part of your life anymore. So he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let it be all put away from you along with all malice. Then he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Then he says, forgive one another. And then, if you like to underline your Bible or circle in your Bible, this is a great place to go. As God in Christ has forgiven you. Okay? As God in Christ forgave you. And so, so this is what he does. He contrasts some destructive attitudes in our lives. That, that we, again, when you see these words, you're like, oh yeah, those are destructive attitudes. But yet, we wear them very frequently, especially in the midst of conflict, especially in the midst of a wound. He says things like, he's like he says, uh, here's what's destructive about your life. 
bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice on this one hand. And then he says, okay, but I want you to see something else at play. That you do have a choice. In the midst of a wound, you do have a choice. You can wear these things or you can wear things like kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. That the former actions and attitudes are the result of living in conflict and the latter are actions and attitudes that help you resolve that conflict. And the key to this is never leaving or graduating from the love God has poured on you through the cross of Christ. That you constantly come back to this beautiful truth that I've been forgiven and I may have been the chief of the sinners and yet God out of His love has rescued me. But, it's easy to hear now, right? And it's harder to put into practice. It's difficult to, to forgive, right? I mean, that's, that's one thing I want you to understand. I, I'm with you on this. It is difficult to forgive. And so we're left wondering, how do I do that? And there's really, unfortunately for us, there's not a secret formula to give us an excuse. Well, I didn't know the secret formula. That God tells us constantly, he says that we would forgive as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We forgive as God forgives. So, so how, how is that, right? If, if we re- would remember some of the elements of God's forgiveness, we could find some strength. So, so think through the scenario. That Think through your relationships where forgiveness needs to be given. Ponder these considerations that, that God affords us. And there's only four that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, and, and the first one, if you follow along your talk notes, if you'd like, is that He, God, is understanding of our weaknesses. That in the midst of conflict, we need to remember that God is understanding of our weaknesses. It's, it's a dominant theme in Psalm 103. Uh, in fact, we, we kind of drove through it last week very quickly. Uh, but it says things like this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him, toward those who honor Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He re, uh, remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Who who see Him for who He is and understand how incredibly unworthy we are for Him to even glance in our direction. And so so the reason God is gracious and the reason God is compassionate as to pardon our iniquities and remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west comes in in verse 14. I don't know if I have it here, but, but it says this, For He knows our frame he is mindful that we are but dust. We are but dust. He knows how fragile and weak we are. He knows we are but dust. And, and He knows what we are like. He knows how weak we are. In fact, uh, when we became, when He became uh, man, when He sends Christ, um, He identifies with every single one of our weaknesses. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 puts it this way, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he was without sin. So, so he's been there himself. He, he understands. I love that the fact that he remembers that we are dust. I think that, that should help us in how we treat one another. We can remember that we are dust. And then we can... Worship in the fact that God cares about dust. So forgiveness begins with learning to understand each other. Uh, and that, that shouldn't be difficult because we know, we know what we are like, right? Uh, at least if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are proud at times and we are selfish at times and we are spiteful at times and jealous and, and how inconsiderate and how inept we can be. And so, so why can't we show just a little tolerance for those same faults in others. That, that people who refuse to forgive uh, uh, may have the foolish notion that they themselves are, are almost perfect, then they aren't, right? 
So, so I think it's funny. Why, why is the golden rule something that we always want to apply, but when it comes to forgiveness, we want to say, ah, maybe not so much. Maybe, maybe we don't want to treat others the way we want to be treated in this. And part of it is because we, we've been hurt and we want to hurt back. And I think being understanding is, is more than comprehending words. It's, it's trying to look at things from other angles and it's... And, at times, just coming back and saying, okay, they're wrong. They're jerks. I would rather punch them, but God loves me, so therefore I will not do that. And it's constantly coming back to this part. God has forgiven me, so I should forgive others. Number two, and this is, I think these next two are probably the, the most difficult, uh, that we would remember that He cancels the debt of our offenses. He cancels the debt of forgiveness is facing the fact, okay? The facing the fact that the offense did happen. And it's admitting that it did hurt. But it's making the choice to cancel the debt of the offenses ourselves. We, that, that we, we take this play with confidence because we've seen God model this for us time and time again. In fact, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he assures us that, that God was not counting their trespasses against them that and so so the question is how could a holy god not ca- not count trespasses against us and paul puts it this way second uh, corinthians 5 verse 21 for our sake god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in christ we might become the righteousness of god that we because we've received forgiveness god cancels the offenses of our sins in Christ. It is paid in full. So, so how could God forgive us because He was willing to bear the penalty of our sin in the person of His Son? And so here's what we know. When an offense is committed, someone has to pay. Someone does. And we know that because we keep the ledger in our minds, right? We keep the ledger in our hearts. You owe me. You've hurt me, so you owe me something. And so our sins offended God's infinite holiness, but He Himself paid the debt they incurred. And so, so, so when Jesus bows His head on the cross and He says, it is finished, He's using a business transaction term that it is paid in full. That forgiveness is saying, I've paid it in full. There's nothing we can add to what Christ has done. There's nothing we can do to deserve His forgiveness. There's nothing we can... Uh, pay to secure it, that God in His grace has paid for our offenses in full and has absolved us of our guilt forever. Forever. And I think our failure to appreciate this truth is one of the major reasons we find it so difficult to forgive other people. And that's why the point of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. What was that? It's, it's a guy who accumulated more than a lifetime's worth of debt and a king, because of his mercy, forgave him. Then as that guy is walking out of the throne room, he sees another guy who owes him a couple thousand bucks, grabs him by the neck, starts to squeeze, and says, give me my money. And Jesus says, when we choose not to forgive, that's what we do. We forget the enormity of our sin. We forget the, the, the lavished love of God. He says we should always be living in this response. Now, here's the thing. They, they have wronged us. The offender, they, they do owe us in some sense, and, and now they have to pay. And, and so the question is, are we going to see that they do, um, or are we going to, I don't know, apply the Word of God in our lives? So, so our tendency is to make demands, right? We, we demand an apology, and... And we insist that they crawl back to us. And we insist that they would admit their, their blame. It's their fault. And so we insist that they admit it. And, and we may demand that they try to undo the wrong that they've committed against us to, to change the unchangeable past. Right? Do you understand that? Okay, and I'm not, I'm not trying to lessen the offense. I'm not trying to tell you to gloss over the wound. But some of us 
have chosen not to forgive other people and we're demanding a payment that they can never, can never pay it back. They can't. And we say it this way all the time. How do you, how many apologies is equivalent to mending a broken heart? You can't. You can't. How much money does it take to mend a broken spirit? You can't. It doesn't work that way. There's no shroot buck that you can convert there. Um, for you office fans, there you go. Um, some of us are holding payment over people that even with their best of intentions, they couldn't spend a lifetime repaying it. And so God says, you release them of that because they can't. You choose to forgive that. And so the essence of forgiveness is paying the, dema- the damages ourselves by canceling every demand, giving up the right to seek any kind of vengeance, blatant or subtle or overt or covert. It's, it's giving up our right to hurt others simply because they have hurt us. And again, okay, I've sat in the same room with you for a couple weeks now. I feel it. You're like, that, that, that's not fair. God is being unjust by telling me to forgive someone who has offended me. And the point is that no matter what they have done to you, and it could be horrible, it could bring us to tears. None of that is worse than what God has forgiven us in Christ. None of it. So if the essence of forgiveness is paying the damages or canceling the debt ourselves, we don't have to say that it didn't hurt us, um, but we do lean in heavily on what God has done for us. And I think there's an additional benefit uh, in how God forgives us. Is that number? Is this number four? Um, if, if not, we've got to get moving. Um, he keeps no record of wrongs. He keeps no record of wrongs. Now, this is the hard part of forgiveness, right? So, so in 1 Corinthians, if you've gone to a wedding, maybe ever, they, they read this passage uh, out of 1 Corinthians. It's in the 13th chapter, and, and it's the love you know, um, set of verses. Right? Now, forgetting that Paul wasn't writing something to give us to read poetic at, at a wedding. Um, what he's doing is he's talking to us about the essence of love and the necessity of it in our lives. Because before we get to the love is and all those descriptive words... He says, if I do anything in my life without love, then it's, it's worthless. He says, it doesn't matter how smart I am, doesn't matter how capable I am, doesn't matter how impressive I am. If I do all of these actions without carrying the love of God, then, then it's completely useless. And then he gets to this descriptive um, narrative in, in, the, in the chapter, and he says things like, love is patient. And you're like, oh, that's already, I'm out. Done kind, does not envy, does not boast. And then in the middle of that, there's something powerful that Paul teaches us. He says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, it doesn't say it ignores that wrongs have happened. It says that I'm not going to keep that against you. And when we choose to operate outside of love, we, we tally, right? We, we try to see how many moments we can keep and, and what we want in our relationships are, are to have more good moments than bad moments in our, with people, right? And if they have more bad moments than good moments, then somehow we're superior to them. And Paul says if that's the way we live our lives, then we've completely missed what the relationships that God is calling us to, to foster, what it is. And, and I think several times, uh, so, so when a person keeps a record of wrong committed against him, he marks it down in his mental calculator uh, so that he can use it when he needs it, and God doesn't do that. He, he chooses to push the clear button on that calculator and, and, and forever loses the derogatory information that, that several times in Scripture he assures us that, that he will remember our sins no more. Uh, let me just give you a couple. You can write down uh, Jeremiah 31, 34, uh, Hebrews 10, 17, Isaiah 43, 25. 
So, so how does God forgive? Through Jesus, and, and when he forgives, he releases the command of the debt, and we need to do the same. That, that, that the challenge is that, that we, we can't clear it, right? It's always there. That there are offenses, and again, uh, that, that time heals all wounds. I said that the other day, that it's, it's foolish. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Um, just by saying, okay, maybe in 10 years I won't be dealing with this anymore, it doesn't mean that. What, what, we, what we try to do, because we can't forget, right? I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget. And for some reason, we think that's a healthy way of doing life. Um, we don't forget, but we do recall that every single time we've chosen, we've chosen to forgive. Every single time. And first of all, when, when we truly forgive, what happens is the wrong will not dominate our thoughts anymore. You ever laid up at night, went in an argument with a hypothetical person for an offense that they've created? Right? You ever lost an argument in your own mind with that person? No. You dominated. Brought the elbow down. But when we truly forgive the wrong, which, again, is there, it won't dominate our thoughts anymore. When it comes to our minds, we'll be able to dismiss it promptly. We, we won't keep reliving the wound. We won't keep talking about it with others. Some people say they've forgiven, but, but they can talk about little else. They, they want to keep rehearsing the awful thing that's done to them. Uh, and their inability to stop thinking about it is a sign that they haven't truly forgiven. And secondly, uh, the offense... Uh, as we truly forgive, the, the offense won't be as painful. I'm not saying it won't be painful. I'm saying it won't be as debilitating as it had been. The fact that there is that, that there may be deep emotions, but they will start to subside. That, that we can think of it without bitterness and resentment, without feeling all the pain over and over again. And then thirdly, when we truly forgive, we'll, we'll start to be able to treat the offender as though the offense never happened. This is the part of Love keeps no record of wrongs. That, not that we pretend that it didn't happen, because it did. It did. Not that we don't pretend that it, but, but, but we need to be honest about that, that I have received a wound, but, but treat him as though it's never happened. If we forgive as God forgives and we keep no record of wrongs, then it cannot possibly affect our actions with them. We don't place them in shackles any longer. We'll be free to reach out to them with warmth and kindness and openness and trust. And we can restore what's been broken in that relationship. And this is, again, this isn't anything we've created. This is just, we're walking in the model of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And then number four. I'm sorry, nobody told me that we had another one. Um, that, that God seeks our fellowship. He seeks our fellowship, that the aim of forgiveness is reconciliation. Okay? One, one, of the, one of the most most beautiful privileges of the believer is Paul says that God has made you an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, that you and I have the privilege of, of giving God's um, cry out to the world to be reconciled to Him. That God would, would use us and allow us to be part of that is it's an, incre- an incredible privilege. And so, so if that is true about us, then the aim of forgiveness is reconciling. That God seeks out sinful people like us and He actually reaches out to His enemies and He endeavors to reconcile them to Himself. And when we get to places like Ephesians 4 where it says we forgive as God has forgiven us, that's the aim of our relationships. That's the aim of our relationships. That, that we can't, we can't demand other people to repent and we can't insist that they work through the wrong with us, but we can understand that we have a role uh, if we are the offended or if we are the offender um, that, that we can reach out and seek reconciliation. Not, not as a way of saying, hey, um, we need to balance the sheets here. As a way of saying, I've received this forgiveness. I can't hold it any longer I can't withhold it from you any longer. 
that, that if you are the offended party, your responsibility is to take the first step, right? We were there in, eight, in Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if you, you are offended, okay, and this is, this is an issue a lot of us have, okay? Because if you ever, um, have you ever suffered from an unmet expectation? So, so a lot of us have been wounded or offended by people, but yet we're like, I can't believe they haven't come to me and said they were sorry for an offense they didn't know they offended me about. Right? Have you ever been wounded by a person and they were just completely inept to what they've done? Like, this is my, this is my marriage. Like, consistently, I will do something idiotic and will not know and then, now, Missy loves me enough to say, hey, idiot, this is what you did. And then we can start work walking and restoration. But the Bible says that, that if you've been offended, you, you don't sit on the goal line and say, well, they need to come all the way down the field to me because I'm not going any further, any more further than this. They don't deserve that. Did I just paint some of us here? Yeah? Good, because I'm painting myself. The Bible says that, that when you're offended, you would go and you would start to seek that sort of restoration, that you must do it in love, you must do it in meekness, but you must do it. And then secondly, if you are the offender, okay, again, your responsibility is to take the initiative. And this is what I love. This is what God teaches us, that you're always trying to reach each other as, mi- as much halfway, and if not halfway, all the way to their side as much as possible. He says if... if um, if you're offering, if you're presenting a gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, it says, leave your offering there before the altar, and you go your way, and you first be reconciled to your brother, and then you come and you present your offering. If you're wondering where that is, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23-24. That if you know you're in conflict with someone, you would take the initiative to seek reconciliation. So if your brother has something against you, then evidently you've offended them. Now, I'm not saying that their offense is right or wrong. I'm just saying it's there. And God says, if you consistently just say, I'm not going to deal with it, they need to grow up, then that relationship becomes stagnant. And it begins to spoil. And then it deteriorates. And then everything about that relationship just breaks down and so God, God wants alienated brothers and sisters in Christ to be reconciled. And whichever role you fit, the, the offender or the offended, and if you want to obey the Word of God, you, you reach out. That, that biblically you have a move to make. So let's start, let's start wrapping this up. So his understanding of our weaknesses, he cancels the debt of our offenses, he keeps no record of our wrongs, he seeks our fellowship. And so, so as we talk about forgiveness, those things apply. And, and I know, again, I, I admit that there are parts of this that are hard. I was, I was reading this book, I know, not to brag, but I finished the book. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a book by, by a pastor named Dustin Willis, and he, the book's called Life in Community, and and there was a page that I was reading uh, the other week that I was like, man, that's, that's something I needed to hear. Um, because I needed to hear it, I figured you do too. Um, and so here, here's what he says. He says, forgiveness means that we give up the right to hold a person's sin over his head and force him to clean himself up to earn our love. Sure, the offended would be right to want the offender to demonstrate their commitment to the relationship again, but, but these actions must be a response to love and not a means of earning love. That God works this way. The psalmist says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And the obvious answer is, is no one. We would not stand a chance if God made us earn our way into relationship each time we sin. God, God doesn't keep a heavenly tally sheet to track whether our good deeds have been sufficient to merit His love. He simply loves and we respond to that love through our obedience. That the biblical word for this process is reconciliation. It's, 
It's the idea that those who were once enemies become friends again. And, and we might say that, that, that two boys who got into a fight on the playground were reconciled when they decided to forgive each other and then team up to play two-on-two basketball. Paul says that this is what God did for his children through Christ's work. He took those who were estranged and enemies due to sin, God and man, and made them friends. Our, our human relationships are to demonstrate this heavenly reality. That our relationships, even in conflict, are opportunities to reflect the fact that God has reconciled us to Himself. That forgiveness is the glue of relationships. Every relationship you have, forgiveness, if it hasn't already been brought to the table, it needs to be, or it will need to be. That forgiveness is the glue of relationships, and without it, they will never stick. You may have heard the statement, love means never having to say you're sorry. Ever, ever heard that? Ever said that as a weapon? It may rival sticks and stones, may break my bones, but words can never hurt me as the dumbest thing anyone has ever said. Love, in fact, means always having to say you're sorry. Love means having to extend forgiveness to those who say they're sorry. Practicing forgiveness and forbearance is tough and it will cost you a lot. But in Christ, you, you not only have a model, you have a source for grace. He's forgiven you more than you'll ever have to forgive anyone else. And you can pass the same grace to those who annoy and hurt you. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can bear with others and we can forgive them with no strings attached. We can forgive them with no strings attached. I, so one of our foster daughters, she sees a therapist, and on uh, Tuesday of this week we were, we were talking, and somehow we ended up um, in a really bizarre set of paths that we, we took. We ended up in this conversation about uh, forgiveness, and, uh, and she said something that, I, that has struck, and I'm like, that's, that's good. She says, you know, one of, the, one of our struggles with forgiveness is that we think it's a one-time thing. That, that I've forgiven you, and then I no longer have to deal with the emotions of that pain again. And she said, that's, that's not the case. Because you can forgive someone, and then months down the road, years down the road, that wound can try to reopen itself. And she said, she goes, the, the beautiful part of forgiveness is that it's a continual action. That you always have to come up in those moments when those emotions start to well, when unfairness begins to, to start saying, hey, that's unfair, that's unfair, that's unfair, that's unfair. That when those moments start to come, that you say, I've chosen in that moment to forgive again. I've chosen to keep forgiving. And so I, 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 so I struggle with what I'm about to share with you. Um, Rarely, rarely do I get to tell a story where I'm the hero because I rarely am. Um, so there's a relationship in, in my life and, and it's a person that I don't... I've never met them, uh, but they have deeply wounded someone I deeply love. And I struggle in this moment in my life with, God, how, how do I forgive this person when I would much rather do some very dark things to them. Like, how, how do I extend that forgiveness to a person who I don't believe I will ever have a conversation with? How do I, how do I forgive when I know what I've said to my church, but I don't feel that that's fair? And I can't get away from Ephesians 4, 32. That we forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ. Because here's what I know. If vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, He will handle it. And He doesn't need me jumping in saying, I got this one. But, but what I'm learning is the more I choose not to forgive this dude, the more locked up I become. 
And what's beautiful about it is the Holy Spirit comes in and He's like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be locked up here. I, I freed you in Christ to be able to not have to carry that burden. So as we wrap up these, these thoughts on forgiveness, here's, here's what I, I'm encouraging you to do. To remember that it's not a suggestion. To remember that it's hard. I don't want to discredit your pain. I really don't. I want us to be able to walk in community that, as Paul says, when one suffers, we all suffer. We all walk in that, the mess of it together and the pain of it together. I want us to be able to identify that and walk through that in a healthy way with one another. But, thirdly, we can't use it as a weapon. You won't grow. You won't grow because here's what happens. The Holy Spirit will nag you. Say, we can't go any further until you can get past this point right here. And so I think what my desire is, not that you would try to work harder to forgive people more. So I don't think that, that effort, I don't think it really works itself out that way. My prayer is this, is that you would understand how God has forgiven you in Jesus and that would have ways that just opened you up. Every one of your conflicts, every one of your wounds, that you would understand that Christ has covered that. And because of it, you live strong. And you can live healthy. Alright, so if your motivation is to do it in your own strength, you're going to fall short. But if we would continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel, powerful things can happen relationships can be restored, not for the glory of man, but for the glory of God. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you that you care about us. And I pray this morning as we begin to to transition to to leaving the building that, that we wouldn't just try to check this off of our list, but that we would understand and there's those of us here that need to do some work. And maybe we just need to spend some time in prayer or, or maybe we need to seek out uh, some people to pray with. And Father, I pray for boldness that we would not be a people afraid to do the heavy lifting. And I pray that You would soften our hearts I pray you would give us eyes of mercy. And Father, I pray most of all, you would help us see our most desperate need in life. That we would understand our, your desire to reconcile us to you. That we would, we would understand more and more the glorious inheritance You've allowed us to have in Christ. And though, Father, if there are people here that don't know You today, that don't understand Jesus, and they, and, they, and they have questions about that, I pray that we would be able to journey with them today and celebrate with them today and battle with them today. Father, we love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.